0: It's This Week in Moab. I'm your host, Molly Marcello, and I'm here with a very special guest, the new business development specialist for Grand County. Hello, August. Hello. Now, August, how do you pronounce your last name? What's the proper pronunciation?
1: Sure. It's Granith. Thank you for asking, though.
0: So, listener, forgive me if I'm going to embarrass you right now, but um, listeners might know August from his uh, breakout role as Jurgen in KZMU's radio drama, Choreomania.
1: They may not recognize this voice that I'm using (laughs) in my citizen life. Juergen might sneak its way into the broadcast at some point.
0: (laughs) That would be fabulous. So yeah, August, uh, this is your first time to uh, This Week in MOA, but it's not your first time to KZMU. Um, Now, you sort of just moved here in the midst of the pandemic. Um, Can you tell us about your background and what brought you here?
1: Sure. So... I am a native Utahn in that I grew up in Salt Lake City. My folks aren't from the state. Um, my mother's from Sweden, my dad's from Chicago, and they kind of came here for work and accidentally discovered all the magic that Utah has to offer. Oh, wow. um, and growing up Moab area in Grand County and neighboring San Juan County, kind of a big part of the best parts of my adolescence, coming down to a family friend's cabin on the other side of the La Sals um yeah. and kind of really experiencing that quiet you know for for a kid who was playing pokemon games in the car to have no electricity internet uh, running water etc uh-huh. and you know going outside into the pit toilet <laughs> i think it was a good it was a good introduction to what life can be kind of outside of the city and taking a break from that and a super big important part of introducing me to nature and mm. um just some of the I feel like it's a big part of my soul right. in that way. And left the state for college on the East Coast. Um, spent about five years or so in the Boston area. And then after I graduated, you know, thought I was always gonna come back west and did. Moved to Seattle to start my life after college and then the pandemic um, promptly shifted the direction of that. Yeah. Um about a month into that wow. journey. So I was previously working in climate policy, mm-hmm. um, doing you know a combination of research and advocacy, depending on which job I had. Mm-hmm. Um, and then that ended, and I was kind of more or less floating around for a little bit. Um, my partner got a job at Community Rebuilds, which mm-hmm. brought us here in October, and was a really great window into Moab and the community here mm-hmm. as somebody who mostly saw Moab as city market um, <laughs> sure. Yeah, and you know the occasional <laughs> breakfast burrito on the way out of town. Right. Um, to you know, be meeting the mayor within a couple weeks. Right. And
0: um yeah, A real community.
1: Yeah, that kind of blew my mind a little bit, mm-hmm. and kind of immediately knew that you know I had all this from the outdoor elements of Moab was ready to you know felt that was nourishing my soul, and then oh, this community is here mm-hmm. and it's a special one and one that I feel like. I want to plug into and engage with and accidentally not I didn't really look for role right, <laughs> that right, I'm doing but right. uh, found work in the county government that kind of really is community oriented and, and forward looking in terms of looking to the future of what Moab can be and trying to bring people along okay. in a good direction.
2: Yeah.
0: Thank you for that background. Um, so let's get into it. You are the business development specialist mm-hmm. for Grand County. So what does that mean? I mean, because this, is a re- this is a new position.
1: Yep. So basically, the Economic Development Department is kind of in a new phase of its life. It right. used to be um, in the same umbrella as community development and planning and zoning at the county. Um, last summer, Elaine uh, Gisler from the travel department, uh, travel council, excuse me, was given the director role after the last director left, um, and it became its own thing. Right. Um, and so anyway, it's kind of kind of a new new face of, of what that looks like, right. and kind of a lot of what we're focusing on is diversification, um, as Elaine does work on the tourism side of things, we're kind of working on um, diversifying the economy, and I, I can talk more about that later, but... Mm-hmm. You know, as an economic development department, you know, we're kind of working on collaborating with private, public, and community stakeholders to, at the end of the day, to support a robust, resilient, sustainable, and uh, inclusive economy is mm-hmm. our kind of our working Main goal. kind of mission statement there. Yeah. And kind of at a high level, what our department works on that I've come to learn, I'm I, as I said, I, I refuse to work in climate policy, so coming to economic development is totally new to me. But it turns out that the role of economic development staff is to be a convener, mm. to bring together the resources of the community, whether mm-hmm. that be institutions or individuals or organizations.
2: Mm-hmm. Here that
1: might be Utah State um, University in Moab, the Chamber of Commerce, the very um, diverse local nonprofit community, mm-hmm. um, or really anyone who has a good idea about what the future of you know, the local economy could look like. Sure and trying to have those conversations and kind of move move the needle a little bit.
0: Do you see some similarities with your old role in climate policy to economic development?
1: I do in the sense that they're both really complicated problems with <laughs> a lot of stakeholders that have a lot of different opinions.
0: Okay,
2: sure.
1: I think it's maybe given me a little bit of humility. Working in kind of address, trying to address climate change, it's, you know, they call it a wicked problem, mm. and it's because... You can, you know, you only you start in one corner and you do what you can, but you're never going to solve the problem on your own. Yeah. And so I think that maybe has brought me, you know, just just listen first and do your best and hopefully Mm -hmm. something good happens out of it.
0: Well, I want to get into um, the planning efforts and the community engagement efforts, um, but you mentioned to me that uh you kind of did a bit of research into the economic history of the valley Uh um from you know settlement white settlement in particular and here's what i know agriculture cattle uranium bust tourism and what gaps can you fill in for me there what you know what can you color in for our, our listeners
1: I think you've pretty much got it. I can maybe add a little bit of statistical color. Please. You know, basically, the reason I I looked a little bit into the economic history is trying to contextualize the economic diversification efforts. Why Mm -hmm. are we doing this? Mm -hmm. Why is this a priority? And I think it's because a lot of folks, I mean, with, with COVID, seeing the vulnerability of a heavily specialized economy focusing on tourism what happens when it goes away mm-hmm. in this case, a pandemic. Um, but it could be something else. It could be gas prices shoot up. It could be mm-hmm. after this year, you know, yeah, we're having a record year, mm-hmm. but maybe next year, everybody got their Moab fix. Right. And now that they can fly, they're going to go to Portugal instead of going sure. to Moab. And so really trying to have some elements of the economy that are non tourism related to help it be more resilient to those kinds of shocks in the future. Right. And contextually realizing that Moab is kind of has had an economic history of booms and busts, you know, early population, um, first permanent kind of like white colonial population in around the 1880s or so Mm -hmm. um, coming in after uh, this area was occupied by the Ute people. Mm -hmm. And, you know, for 70 years or so, it was primarily agriculture. Um, Some fun stats that I found Um, in a a PhD student from BYU who wrote his dissertation on the economic history of the Grand Valley in 1975.
0: Oh,
2: that's
1: cool. So crop values, basically, some saxon on crop and livestock values. Crop values peaked in 1920, so that was like the the point where that was the strongest part of the economy, Hmm. um, with hay being the kind of primary product. Interesting. And then livestock values peaked in 1930 with sheep making up 70% of that value. Wow. And that's not to say that like livestock, like sheep and hay were the thing, but Uh you know, they hit those peaks. At that point, Agriculture provided in the '30s. Agriculture provided forty percent of all jobs in Grand County. That's so kind of
0: like where we are today. I mean, we might be fifty percent, over fifty percent, with tourism. But
1: yeah, so so I uh, have some more statistics. Okay, here keep say. going. <laughs> right. But yeah, so forty percent, and that's not to say that like the mining that I'm going to talk about wasn't there. There was gold mining in Lasalles, and there was right. people doing all kinds of things. Um, and you know, early outfitting was even happening in the '50s. And want to recognize that those weren't you know just because agriculture was a primary activity. wasn't right. that nothing else was happening. Okay. But, you know, 50s could roll around, and mm-hmm. everybody is aware of Charlie Steen and the uranium boom. And then the the, the follow-up with Potash, which continues to be one of the largest employers in the county. Mm-hmm. Um, but in the 1960s, mining provided 42% of all jobs in Grand County, so a total shift. Mm. And then to contrast that now with our kind of current paradigm with tourism being... The primary economic activity Um, statistics from the previous department um, so the staff that's no longer around but they put this number together that in the first quarter of 2020 tourism provided 62% of all jobs in Grand County
0: that's even higher than my guess I
1: think it's an overestimate we've been looking at the number but it's it's, I think close enough to lend itself to the idea and to just address how vulnerable that can make us comparing april 2019 to april 2020
2: mm-hmm.
1: grand county lost 60 percent of, of all gross taxable sales and 94 percent of all hotel revenue mm. anyway all that being said like w- w- the question is where do you go from here um can we rely on that kind of boom and bust growth and just kind of wait for the next thing to hit the town mm-hmm. and a lot of people have argued t- for moving towards a more long-term, slow, and sustainable economic growth. Um, And there's been some actions in the county that have kind of started that process a little bit that we're kind of helping to implement.
0: I know for sure that there's a lot of different planning efforts. Now for some, they hear diversification. Let me just put this out there and they get scared that, you know, the tourism economy is somehow going to go away. Um, You know, is there a balance, do you think between supporting the business that is already here? Um, As you know, help wanted signs are like lining main street. because There's workforce shortages. The housing is too expensive. What's the balance between supporting our existing businesses versus, you know diversifying our economy
1: right and and that's a super fair point point. and i think i should be clear that we're not the diversification department <laughs> sure, um sure. part of our primary activity is kind of just local business development in general and you know to quote the diversification action plan um you know their focus is to quote build upon the recreation and tourism economy and to spread risk create value uh, mm-hmm. across a large range of industries so mm-hmm. i don't think by any means are we looking beyond tourism or ignoring tourism to all of the you know businesses in the tourism community Mm
2: -hmm.
1: you're very much a part of what we're working on and we're trying to help that you know be a part of it and I think kind of a way to think about it is and I'm not in the travel council but I work in the same building as the travel council folks and they're working on the whole destination stewardship model kind of shifting from you know creating a destination um, to okay we have what we have Mm -hmm. and you know, maybe it's causing some problems in certain areas, but it's certainly providing the base of the economy at the moment. Let's hold on to that and maintain that. And in addition to that, try to create, you know, on the margin. So I think when you think about the 60% number, it's not that we're trying to like necessarily reduce that number per se, mm-hmm. but reduce that in the context of the rest of the economy, mm-hmm. um, because mm-hmm. the share will increase. And, and I think that also comes with questions of pushing the resource capability of the area from water to housing etc i want to make clear that we're very much aware of that and Mm -hmm. we're not trying to be the next saint george necessarily Mm -hmm. but trying to find that balance and and trying to be in concert with what the community is hoping for and asking for Mm -hmm. in finding that balance because i think i think there is a good opportunity for kind of like balanced and careful growth um, that does increase the kind of overall quality of life in the community
0: quality of life and that is part of the goal of the economic development department is that right that is right i actually i actually took down the goal and you sort of read it at the beginning but uh two parts that stood out to me were stability was to facilitate um stability and quality of life for grand county's current and future residents um is now a good time to mention equitable development surely Listener, this is a phrase that August um, told me, and I hadn't heard it before. Um, So can you tell us uh, from your perspective what equitable development is and also, you know, how Grand County's Economic Development Department um, might be trying to make inroads with this in mind?
1: Sure. So basically, equitable development is this notion that, well, and I guess it comes from from my perspective and and the department that um, we're trying to do good development mm-hmm. what that means and, and so mm-hmm. it's been described as a development strategy that ensures that everyone participates in and benefits from you know a region's economic transformation and that includes low-income residents mm-hmm. um, residents of color immigrants and really anybody that is at risk of being left behind by the existing economic system and it takes basically an intentional approach to make sure that whatever activities and programs that we're doing Take it. Take into account the historical inequities of economic development, and making sure that what we're doing addresses those right. uh, really intentionally and isn't in just like tokenized on the side. Um, that
0: it's a part of every step of the process.
1: Ideally, yeah, yeah. And we're working on. You know, we're at an early stage, so we. You know, we're. That's that kind of a goal to work towards. I do think one example of a program that we're targeting is a part of. Um, biden's american rescue plan there's mm-hmm. a pilot program called the community navigator program and kind of what that is all about is recognizing that all this federal funding that came in the last year to respond to covid was hard to get if you're if you're a business owner i was speaking with a business owner who doesn't necessarily use excel you know she's great at her job mm-hmm. and she does her files her taxes with the cpa mm-hmm. in order for her to get funding you know, she had to f- create a PNL statement that describes for X number of months this year and the previous year, what was the loss of revenue? Sure. What's it, you know, put together a balance sheet. And, you know, those are the kinds of like business skills that we certainly want the community to have. And we want to provide those kinds of trainings, but that the ability to access those skills to access those funds is disproportionately distributed mm, sure. um, amongst our society. And okay. so, what they're trying to do is create hubs and communities that are uh, historically marginalized in that way, right. and try to have a place that's culturally aware, that has buy-in in the community that people care about and know about. Mm-hmm. They can go to if they want to access specifically American Rescue Plan funds. But I think it's an opportunity for us to catalyze having, you know, a stronger. Element of that in our community. Oh,
0: that's so interesting.
1: Um, yeah, so ideally we'd get funding from the federal government, mm-hmm. uh, a local nonprofit would serve as an anchor institution, mm-hmm. and kind of create a network of that um, that's in the community that we don't necessarily run but we support.
0: You're listening to this week in Moab, and we're speaking with August Granith, business development specialist um, in Grand County's Economic Development Department. Is there more to say about equitable development, or um, that concept, or or its practice? Sure. Yeah.
1: I guess most of the resources I've been seeing about it are in urban contexts. Okay. So, like this, the organization that I got that kind of quote and research from is mm-hmm. based in Pittsburgh, right. and they were doing a um, it was a multi-stakeholder effort to try to make this a part of the city's development processes. Mm, okay. So I think it's interesting to try to apply that in a small town context where we don't necessarily have like a little Italy or, mm, mm-hmm. um, you know, strong, like we certainly have pockets of, of certain socioeconomic groups, but, you know, as a smaller community, people know each other better, but maybe that makes different challenges as well. So um, we're kind of, building the airplane as we fly it a little bit on that.
0: So I know you're not doing it alone. There are different efforts. Should we get back to diversification, perhaps? Sure. There's two different boards um, mm-hmm. that shouldn't be confused with each other, but are similarly <laughs> related. Let me see if and I can easily get this right. confusable. Easily confusable. There's the Economic Development Advisory Board, mm-hmm. and then there's the Economic Diversification Advisory Council. The county is involved in both of Correct. these. Correct. Um, can you tell us a little bit about the Economic Diversification Advisory? council is the smaller uh board that was is more newly formed correct and tell us how these work together or separately or don't sure (laughs) okay well
1: i'll start with the grand county economic development advisory board because they were around first sure that was created explicitly to help channel state covid relief money Mm. so there's a program the state bill was called sb 95 it's now called the rural county grants program it's administered by um, go utah or formerly known as go ed or the governor's office of economic development they've rebranded under the new administration and basically that there's a state pot for every county of about 200 grand Mm -hmm. so last year we got about 170 grand and the board exists to decide how that money is spent
0: i see okay
1: and last year, a lot of that was to go to small business impacted, mm-hmm. impacted small business grants in Grand County specifically. Sure. We're putting together a report on how that money was spent so mm-hmm. that we can give it back to them. And then they will, in turn, give us a new tranche of this year's $200,000. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of, it's almost more of an open mm-hmm. window. There's not so many uh, strings attached to that money. Um, but that's what that board is. And it's kind of narrowly focused on right. here's this pot of money. How should we spend it? So that was created first and kind of with a short-term focus of COVID-19 really. I would imagine the rural county grant program will continue longer, but I can't say it's a state thing. Okay. The other board, the grand County economic diversification act advisory council. You got it. <laughs> um, was formed in December mm-hmm. or was officially adopted in December mm-hmm. uh, via county commission resolution. And exists basically to to review you know where we are and how do we do diversification stuff so it's it's much more focused on the diversification side of things mm-hmm. in addition to creating the body itself it also adopted the strategic action plan so the economic diversification strategic action plan that has basically lays out the argument that kind of we've just touched on of why economic diversification and grounds itself in the 2012 county general plan which was the last time the county had mm-hmm. the like a long-range strategic action plan and suggests certain goals and strategies um, basically to address diversification okay. and so there's a handful of very discreet you should do this is mm. mm-hmm. and basically the staff in our department in in concert with that council are trying to take that turn it into an actual Punch list right? Um, and start to work on it.
0: Like actual action items. I know. I, as you're as you're talking, you're reminding me of um, what was in that plan. I believe, um, sort of delving into the land use code. Yep. Looking for opportunities to clean that up um, mm-hmm. to make business more desirable. That's part of it for sure. Because I think sometimes you know I get fatigued hearing about all the plans that our various governments have. <laughs> Yeah. without actionable items Mm -hmm. Um, but this one actually had some sort of light recommendations that it sounds like this board is actually gonna uh, try to implement yeah
1: and I can touch on those briefly yeah please so basically there's kind of three strategies that it prescribes Mm -hmm. the first is to decide what sectors would be a good fit for Moab Mm. um, and then target them so they kind of outlined three potential mm-hmm. contenders one being kind of this whole new remote work revolution and kind of we see that as on two sides one is very much for locals mm-hmm. upskilling folks to plug into the remote workforce and there's really great programming that utah state university is doing with their rural online initiative okay they have a remote worker professional certification that you can do for very little money like ten dollars in some places mm-hmm. um and folks in grand county have already taken advantage of that right. Um, and then on the other side is you know attracting new folks who find Moab to be everything that they want in uh, on the quality of life side, right. and they can bring their job with them. And I think that's an easy one to kind of be concerned about. We have a lot of folks who are driving through town and hanging out in their Sprinter van, mm-hmm. and you know doing some software engineering for a couple hours. And so we don't necessarily we're trying to balance not necessarily spending a lot of public money to subsidize. Okay folks just passing through, I mean, we, we do that on the on the tourism side, so there are, are some co-benefits there, but, you know, I think a good example of someone like that who's made a tremendous impact in the community is somebody who's on the board, mm-hmm. Emily Campbell, who's also the chair of the planning commission. Mm-hmm. She works in tech uh, remotely from Moab and is a really um, engaged and mm-hmm. strong person in the community, and I'm very fortunate to have her on the board as a driving force. Two others before I talk oh. forever. Please uh please. Kind of health and wellness. So recognizing that the hospital is a hub for health care in the area of conventional healthcare, and trying to Mm -hmm. bring some of the elements we already have. We have really great yoga studios. We have acupuncture and other kinds of of therapies offered. And Utah is known for its nature therapies for young folks for the most part Mm -hmm. um, and lots of other outdoor education. So, you know, is that an area that we can explore to kind of help build out a little bit? And then last is kind of outdoor recreation generally. Mm-hmm. And so something something like creating an R&D hub for folks who are trying to develop electric off-road vehicles or mm-hmm. new climbing gear, um, stuff like that kind of w- they identified as fitting the community and being kind of low impact. You know, you know, it's not large manufacturing. That's not to say that manufacturing doesn't work. Synergies found a way to make that work in our community. But that's kind of like, the buckets that they're mm-hmm. considering. And, okay. and that's not a final list. We want to engage with the community and have conversations about what are the things maybe we're missing. Right. Um,
0: yeah. Speaking of engagement, you know, I know that there's some visioning happening right now in Grand County's economic development department and um, strategic planning. And you want to get more input from the community. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, how, what's going on in that side of things? Uh, to inform perhaps these various boards and committees
1: totally so at this point it's mostly a bullet point on a list we feel that it's important we want to do it Mm -hmm. um our priority at this point is kind of getting our bearing and i guess i should say i only started in march very new so you know having conversations with the folks in town and learning about really what we're doing Mm -hmm. at a base level but You know, that is definitely a goal, and we want to do that in an intentional way. And I think we're also trying to be wary of the fact that because there hasn't been an update to the county general plan since 2012, Mm, there's been rumblings of that receiving an update at some point in the Mm -hmm. near future. And so if that's going to happen anyway economy is going to be a part of that and so that might be a good opportunity to leverage that happening and bake that in but that's not to say that we won't do it unless the county does a strategic plan update but we're figuring out what that looks like i think one thing that we're definitely going to start doing is a more formal business one-on-one program so starting to reach out to businesses and just make sure they know who we are that they know what resources we offer that we we can learn from the knowledge they have about what's going on in the community, about their history of being a business owner in the area. Mm-hmm. Um, but we also want to reach beyond just business owners because everybody's a part of the economy in some way mm-hmm. um, and, and you know making sure that we're able to reach the workforce wherever they are right. and, and just other members of the community. And so ideally we'd have some sort of an open engagement but we haven't really figured out what that looks like but it, it is definitely a priority
0: i do know that there is a big um item on the agenda for next year the department is going to restart the business summit um, yep. and tell us about that
1: yeah so this is a program that's been going for a couple years now with a break during right. the pandemic yeah. um but we're kind of tracking down feedback from past years and, mm-hmm. and trying to take this on and learn really quickly, like, how did it get put together and what things are important. And I think one of the biggest things, well, A, it's, it's going to be a regional thing. So we're calling it's called the Canyonlands Business Summit. Okay. A couple of years ago, they kind of roped in San Juan to mm-hmm. make it more than just Grand County or Moab. Sure. And so it'll be partly virtual, partly in-person. Mm-hmm. It'll be an in-person event at the Hoodoo, and we will have – kind of zoom inable mm-hmm. features to sure. that and try to have some kind of a hub in in Monticello, Blanding, and Bluff, ideally, um, so that folks who are out there and can't make the trip
0: oh, that's are able
1: to plug in okay. and, part- you know, obviously there's limitations. You can't participate in everything, but right. at least for the pro- main programming and, and we're hoping to do some kind of engagement question and answers that people will be able to answer on their phone, whether they're in person or at... Um, you know, a community center in Bluff, Mm. um, that we can get that feedback live and and kind of incorporate that into what we're talking about. Some of the main feedback from past years is people wanted kind of more concise events. We've all been to Mm. conferences where someone talks forever and Mm -hmm. and you begin to nod off (laughs) and kind of realizing some of the most important part of in-person conferences is the networking is the Mm -hmm. opportunity to meet folks who maybe you haven't seen in a while or maybe you've never met them before Mm -hmm. and we're hoping to bring people from the community but also from around the state and in the region who either are interested in what's going on here who already have something going on here Mm -hmm. and I think just create uh, an interesting kind of bacterial culture of of (laughs) interaction and and hopefully you know the more complex that Mm -hmm. is the more kind of good right. stuff comes out of it.
0: Okay. So for the long-range planners, this is getting this is getting formulated as we speak, but if anyone wants to put that on their calendar for 2022, it's in February. February
1: 7th and 8th. Okay. Um which is a Monday Tuesday if I'm not mistaken. So okay. it'll you... be in the off-season. Hopefully we get like one of those maybe like 35 to 40 degree days with right. no clouds. <laughs> That's what I'm hoping one for. Of those
0: perfect winter days.
1: Exactly. Where no one's around except for the people that live here. A couple other things we were trying to address is in past years, there's been complaints of lack of diversity, mm-hmm. um, uh, asking you know for kind of more local specific content. And I think the the top three things that people have asked for and from the 2020 mm-hmm. uh, or 2019 summit, asked for, or 2020 actually, asked for networking more networking opportunities. They want to know about local government actions and plans. Mm-hmm. And what does the community and economic development department like? do and what they want (laughs) what 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 principles are they following in their work so we're listening to what people Mm -hmm. have said and we appreciate the previous uh, economic development department for taking good notes and asking good questions so that we can learn from that
0: yeah. And where can people find uh, the Economic Development Department? Like, where can they get in touch with you or stay on top of your, the resources that you have or uh, the sure. various items that you might have uh, for the community?
1: So at the moment, we have a page on Grand County's, uh, the Grand County Government website. It's in Economic Development. If you search Grand County, Utah mm-hmm. Economic Development, You, if you don't search the Utah, you might end up looking at Economic Development Strategies and Junction. And my email is on that page. My work phone is on that page. Um, You want to
0: go ahead and shout it out in case anyone wants to write it down?
1: Sure. My email is So that's Mm A-G-R-A-N-A-T-H, at grandcountyutah.net. The phone number is 435-259-1340. I'll say it one more time for our radio (laughs) listeners, 435-259-1340. I'm in the Travel Council building, mm-hmm. um, but I appreciate a, a heads-up sometimes.
0: I guess it's, it's really been a pleasure to have you up here. I can't believe I, I feel like we could talk for hours. So much going on with economic development. Is there anything in the last couple minutes or so that we have that you wanted to impress upon uh, me or anyone out there, as far as the department is concerned, any goals uh, for this year or even in the next 10 years? Yeah,
1: I think um, I just want to shout out Elaine, the director of the department um, who's been a double director. she's running the travel council and she's running economic development and she picked up economic development over the summer last year. Mm-hmm. I think she's done a really good job of kind of learning really quickly, connecting with all of the people across the state that kind of matter and Really, just kind of starting the groundwork and laying that groundwork and kind of getting the ball rolling um, and, and she 's a, a great great person to have as a boss so yeah
0: we 've been speaking to August Granith, the new business development specialist for Grand County. he was giving us sort of a rundown on the new iteration of grand county 's economic development department.
1: I failed to shout out our AmeriCorps Vista service member Ben Alter, who started about a month ago and has been doing a great job and so Uh, The three of us are the department, so Ben, Elaine, and myself.
0: You know, America Vistas, they've really done so much for this community, and it's great that uh, the department has one.
1: Yeah, we we, uh, appreciate uh, the VISTA program and and for those that choose to take the salary that it comes
2: with.
0: Thank you so much, August. We're going to transition now um, to a conversation that I had with Ranger Karen Garthwaite Uh, earlier today. We were talking about... Oh, Memorial Day weekend, um, increasing visitation at Arches National Park. Um, so that will be the second part of this program. I'm just gonna roll right into it. Here's my interview with Karen. All right, let's get into it. Where do you want to start? Let's start with an introduction. Do you mind introducing yourself to the listeners? Listeners probably know your voice um, because we play your PSAs all of the time, but tell us who you are.
3: Sure. So I'm Ranger Karen, also known as Karen Garthwaite. I work for Arches and Canyonlands National Parks, and I've been lucky enough to work here almost 15 years.
0: Now, what does your job include?
3: Oh, my job has two big halves. One is overseeing the volunteer program for both parks, but I also get to oversee all of our media and communications. Mm. So everything from the website to exhibits you see out on trails, even our social media. And no, I do not do that alone.
0: (laughs) Sure. Yeah, that's (laughs) that's a
3: big job. Yeah.
0: I have to say the Arches social media has been super fun lately. (laughs) Your posts are really engaging. We've
3: got some really talented rangers out there.
0: Yeah. Okay. Well, thank you so much, Karen, for being uh, here with us. The reason I wanted to talk to you was, I believe last week, um, Arches and Canyonlands National Parks sort of sent the the media a press release um, that said, headline, prepare for a busy Memorial Day weekend. Um, let's go back in time a little bit before we talk about the present moment, because we all know that it's busy, but I want to say like around five, maybe four years ago, Memorial Day weekend was the weekend that we knew that Arches was going to have to shut the gate, the entrance gate to control the amount of people that were coming into and out of the park at least once. And now that situation is completely different can you Can you talk a little bit about that
3: yeah um like i said i've I've been lucky enough to be here for over a decade, and I have seen the dramatic change as as many listeners have as well. When I started working at Arches, we would brace for impact Memorial Day weekend right. because, as you said, that was the peak visitation time of the entire year mm-hmm. to the level that parking lots would be filled to overflowing um the line would queue all the way out to the highway of course it was only one lane sure <laughs> thank god we expanded that sure um yeah and we would put out a press release and it was kind of a big thing well we still put out that press release mm-hmm. but as you said crowding to that level has almost become the norm mm-hmm. um having to close the front gate is a practice that started just a number of years ago mm-hmm. as an attempt to kind of meter the, the entrance into the park in order to preserve the resources and also the visitor experience.
2: Sure.
3: Well, just to yeah, put some context on it, I believe it was two years ago, the park had to initiate that plan a total of 16 times for the entire year. Mm. That was a big deal because previously it was zero or one. Or one, right. right? Yeah, yeah. But fast forward in just two years. Um, last fall, we had to do it practically the entire Month of October, daily. Wow, and now it's essentially a daily practice. Wow,
0: wow, that tells you a lot about um, how much how much impact or how popular the parks are. Do you have any information of what might be driving that?
3: Oh, well, I think we can all do a lot of speculation, right? Um, <laughs> sure. We all know the Mighty Five campaign was super popular. Mm-hmm. We've been lucky to have relatively inexpensive gas. For a number of years mm-hmm. um, globally we've seen a rise in the middle class a rise in the just the sheer population of the planet so all those factors combined with just how undeniably beautiful this place <laughs> is sure, <laughs> sure. and yeah. and there's a great infrastructure here for visitation as well mm-hmm. perhaps it's being maxed out but we do have facilities that attract people.
0: Okay. Can you tell us what happens, you know, when um, the park, when Arches National Park has to shutter the gate? Um, You know, what does that process look like? Um, What, what do they tell visitors at that point?
3: Yeah, I'd be happy to explain that because it's probably really frustrating when visitors show up and just see that sign park full. What does that actually mean? Yeah. Well, behind the scenes, we actually have a whole staff, who work in the parking lots and are constantly in communication with our law enforcement rangers about those parking lots
2: mm-hmm.
3: as they are getting full. Right. So that's how we make those determinations, is from people actually on the ground with radios in their hands. Right. So we monitor the, the three most popular, Devil's Garden, the windows, and the delicate arch area, because those are kind of the three main trailhead hubs. Mm-hmm. And when they reach capacity, they communicate out to that front gate hey, we can't take any more people because they're already seeing folks just circling like mm. Black Friday at the mall. <laughs> oh and that's not a pleasant visit. Yeah. Plus it tends to lead toward illegal parking, right. unsafe parking, mm-hmm. people walking down the road, mm-hmm. things like that. Sure. So they will make that determination with the law enforcement staff. Mm-hmm. They communicate that out to the front. We implement the signage. Mm-hmm. We put it out on social media, on the park website. And at that point, the message is, try back in a couple hours. Mm -hmm. We don't give a definitive time, though, because think about what that would do. That would cause thousands of people to show up at the same time. The line would immediately hit the highway, which just bumps the problem forward. Mm -hmm. So... Again, I recognize it might be a frustrating message to hear something vague like "come back later," right. but in doing that, we are really trying to spread out the afternoon pulse of visitation right. so that uh, so it's manageable on both sides.
0: And you know, our peak times still roughly in the morning, roughly in early afternoon.
3: Well, so you've heard Arches say for years: "Come early mm-hmm. or come late." Right. Well, people certainly heard about come early. Uh-huh. Sure. <laughs> we have seen in just the past couple of weeks, we have had to implement that temporary restriction mm-hmm. on entry earlier and earlier. I mm-hmm. think right now the record holder is like eight twenty-five AM mm-hmm. for every single parking lot in the park wow. to be full. Wow. In a way it's a great thing that people are getting the message. Get out to the park early, avoid the peak heat. Mm-hmm. Um But now our message almost has to be come before eight Mm -hmm. or mid afternoon. And the reason I say mid afternoon is once that temporary restriction opens back up, the line forms. It's an hour long practically immediately. Mm -hmm. So if you want to avoid that line, just wait till three, four, Mm -hmm. you know, five. The light's better for pictures anyway. Sure. You know, grab a to go supper, come up in the park. Right. Enjoy sunset, enjoy the dark skies. There are still ways to avoid the crowds.
0: Now, we're going to get into how to prepare for Memorial Day weekend. Um, but before we get into that, I do want to ask you uh, the City Council and the County Commission recently wrote a letter to the regional director of the National Park Service saying that they support implementing a temporary timed entry system at Arches National Park. Do you have anything that you can share right now from Arches? on that issue.
3: What I can share is that the park is well aware of that move and we are working on it and actually stay tuned because you're probably gonna hear more about it in just a number of weeks.
0: Okay, that's, I mean, you know, other parks have implemented it and it does, you know, the argument for it is that it gives visitors security knowing that they can get into the park. So um, I know that uh, there's been numerous studies, transportation and travel studies that the Park Service has done Figuring out, um, you know, what to do about the increase in visitation without compromising the resource.
3: Yeah. There were a number of parks who took the opportunity to implement some kind of a pilot program as a response to the pandemic. Sure. Um, I think Rocky Mountain is one that's Mm -hmm. pretty close by that folks might be familiar with. And so they jumped on that opportunity and now have about a year of experience that they can draw from. None of these systems are perfect, Mm -hmm. but it is great to have a couple models that we can look at and Mm -hmm. learn from because, of course, we want ours to be as perfect as possible if it's going to happen. So it takes time to come up with those plans. And we do really listen closely to the feedback that we're hearing.
0: You know, I had heard that there will be some parking lot expansions. Um, Can you talk about that?
3: So the parking lot expansion that I'm aware of that's actually going to be happening really soon is at the double arch trailhead that's part of the windows parking lot. Um, You know, that's that teardrop shape where you come around on on the lower side. Mm -hmm. We are expanding a number of stalls and putting in a second comfort station on that side. Um, I know about that project because we just did a volunteer event this right. last weekend, harvesting over 50 native rice grass plants, mm-hmm. as well as some soil crust to use in other places of the park.
0: How did that go? It was fantastic. Did they get transferred safely and evenly?
3: <laughs> yeah, yeah. They inoculated whole sections of the Salt Valley area with some of that soil crust to help stabilize where we did that big effort a few years back to rechannel the mm-hmm. Salt Valley corridor there. Wow. So... Yeah, I think we had almost 15 volunteers come out for that.
0: Yeah, and the reason I, I mentioned the parking lot expansion is I'm sure that um, Arches staff you know, know that just expanding parking lots is not the long-term solution for yeah. increased cars in the park.
3: Absolutely. If you look back over the history of construction at the park, during the time that I worked at Arches, we completed the expansion of the Wolf Ranch parking lot for mm-hmm. the Delicate Arch Trail. It filled the first day. Wow. Wow. Right there. That tells you expanding parking lots accommodates some additional interest, but Mm -hmm. with a place like Delicate Arch or or Arches in general, there's such a love. There's such a draw. Mm -hmm. We could never meet demand with parking without seriously impinging on what people are coming to see. And that's not our mission.
0: Okay, so stay tuned for more information on a temporary time entry system, listener. Um, now let's talk about what to do in the present moment with the solutions that we have at hand. Um, what are some messages that you'd like to get out about this Memorial Day weekend and the busy season in general?
3: Yeah. Well, first I just wanna say thank you, KZMU. you always support all the park messages that we get out. So we really do appreciate that. Um, The message we've said for a long time is plan ahead. So that hasn't changed. Mm -hmm. Um, You do really need to do your homework. When you go to a park now, you can't just show up and expect Mm -hmm. there to be an empty campsite and empty parking spaces. So spend some time on the park website, learn a little bit, come up with a plan. But now I'm adding, come up with a backup plan because <laughs> sure. it could be possible the park is already full even mm-hmm. if you plan to come early mm-hmm. and when that happens if that happens it's really good to have a second plan already in your mind right. so you don't waste your precious vacation time trying to figure it out in the moment mm-hmm. we're lucky that arches is not the only amazing thing to do here we have other national park units state parks bureau mm-hmm. of land management forest service all of these other public lands that are also seeing increased visitation as well. Mm. So they would say the same plan-ahead message. Right, of course. <laughs> so it's it's just a good idea to be flexible.
0: i got to say, you know, we've been talking with specifically Arches in mind, but do you have any thoughts on Canyonlands too? You know, or is Canyonlands also experiencing, especially the Island in the Sky area, also yeah. experiencing big visitation?
3: I'm so glad you asked that because where do you think everybody goes when Arches is closed? Sure. Yeah. Definitely. The Island in the Sky and the Needles District of Canyonlands both have seen an uptick in visitation. And a place like the Needles doesn't have the infrastructure for crowds. Um, Some of like one of their most popular Mm -hmm. trailheads is an unpaved road, that Elephant Hill area. Mm -hmm. So absolutely, the increased visitation is palpable at those other places too. Mm
2: -hmm.
3: And unlike Arches, they don't have a convenient roundabout to turn people around in. So my message for Canyonlands would be, you know, if you're planning to go down there and it's busier than you expect um, and you do plan to turn around, please, please, please do so in a safe manner, Mm -hmm. (laughs) keeping all tires on road. And uh, yeah, otherwise, just, you know, again, be flexible for them. Trying to come early or late is a great message, too, because it avoids that midday pulse Mm -hmm. that comes up if Arches has to shut the gate for a bit.
0: Now, with all these increase in, in visitation, I'm sure it's uh, even more important to talk about, you know, respecting the landscape, leave no trace principles. For, for someone visiting, like, national parks, I know we've heard a lot in the news about people going to our public lands for maybe the first time. Yeah. You know, how do you get to that visitor?
3: We're, we're trying everything we can. Yeah. Because on the one hand, we really love and welcome brand new visitors to parks. Right. But when you visit a public land, it's not just an opportunity for recreation, it's an opportunity for stewardship. Mm -hmm. And I might even say there's a a little bit of a responsibility Mm -hmm. that comes along with that too. So we are trying to educate folks on those basic ideas. Mm -hmm. You know, if you come from an urban landscape and you're used to sidewalk chalk, what happens here when you pick up one rock and scratch it on another rock? It looks just like sidewalk chalk. Mm -hmm. So trying to get the message out that it's not, that it won't just wash off when it rains. By the way, it hardly ever rains. <laughs> sure, <laughs> you know? exactly. Um, we're not throwing shade on anybody. Uh-huh. We get that it's it's a different landscape here. And so just trying to use every avenue we can to communicate those messages.
0: Yeah, I know it's difficult to reach everybody, yeah. especially when you have to turn them away and they go somewhere else, maybe with little infrastructure and less people to help interpret or you know, tell them what's what.
3: Um, right. But one thing I think it's kind of exciting that we have been trying to do more of is some interagency partner messaging. Sure. You know, there's the the Moab Travel Council's Do It Like a mm-hmm. Local campaign. Mm-hmm. They put together an excellent website that aggregates a lot of these different messages. Right. They also supported a flyer campaign that some businesses have up around town mm-hmm. that has the basic desert leave no trace principles and all the different agency insignia there. So visitors right. know what, they're choosing to play these same rules apply
2: Mm
0: -hmm. now anything else to mention about this upcoming weekend in particular sounds like credit cards preferred um get your passes and identification ready but you know any other you know last minute things for anybody who might be coming to arches national park or any park um this weekend
3: so the first thing i'd say is pack your patience Because wherever you go, it's going to be busy. You're going to be sharing it with lots of other people who want to have an awesome experience just like you. Mm. Doing whatever you can to help that line go faster. Like you said, you could pay Mm -hmm. in advance or have your credit card ready. Mm -hmm. Um, Paying online through pay.gov or recreation.gov is great because then you just show your receipt and waltz on through. Mm -hmm. I would be in arrears as a park ranger, though, if I didn't talk about safety. Sure, This weekend is going to be a scorcher. They're calling Mm -hmm. for highs in the 90s and leave no trace. The very first principle is plan ahead and prepare Mm -hmm. because if you need to get rescued, that's a huge impact, not just on the staff who has to come out and bear that heat while carrying you off, but also on yourself. That's not the kind of visit and memory that you want to make. Mm -hmm. So being prepared for that desert heat, carrying and drinking plenty of water, salty snacks, choosing an activity that's appropriate for your fitness level, maybe hiking to Delicate Arch at three in the afternoon Mm -hmm. is not the best idea.
0: It's not the best idea for it's me. It's not the
3: best idea for no. anybody. Right.
0: Exactly. I remember when I did that hike the first time I said, oh, this is actually not an easy hike. Yeah. <laughs> this is not exactly a walk in the park.
3: Well, okay. It is a walk. <laughs> up, Never mind. But it's uphill 500 <laughs> feet.
0: You got me. it is literally a walk in the park but it's not not an easy one not an easy one yeah
3: yeah so messages like that are good any time of year but they're especially good on a busy holiday weekend
0: okay karen thank you so much thank you That's uh, Ranger Karen Garthwaite on This Week in Moab. We were speaking just a little bit earlier today. I want to thank Karen for spending time with me. And I also want to thank August, um, who came on earlier in the program to talk about everything that's happening in Grand County's Economic Development Department. We probably could have talked for another hour, so we'll definitely invite him back on. Um, If you missed anything or just wanted to revisit this program, um, we'll have it up on Friday. You can download it by searching for Public Affairs on KZMU on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. It'll be downloadable there, um, and it will be up on our website at kzmu.org under This Week in Moab. Um, Stay tuned, and thanks for being here.